Hello everybody and welcome to podcast number 11. Today I have with me a stand-up comedian, writer, actor and coach. He's written two stage plays, one which was shortlisted for the Hope Playwriting Prize in 2015 and one which is hopefully going to be performed this year. He has been in Spooks, watching EastEnders and also part of a Women's Hour series on Radio 4, Absent. And he's also in about 10 other short films. Welcome, everybody, to Rob Hitchmo. Welcome, Rob. Hello. How are you? Very well, thank you. Good. And can you let me know, start off by just what actually got you into acting in comedy? Um, I went to drama school as a kid um, on a Friday night and was just always very keen and went to came to London in the mid 80s really to become an actor and then I accidentally discovered the comedy circuit and that was it really so and a few years later I did go to drama school but it's been something I've done continuously so I'm showing my age now since the late 80s so, so and um you we're also, um, we, I understand that you're, you've been in EastEnders, you've never been in Coronation Street, although your father wrote for Coronation Street. We did, it, yes. Did yeah. he say you're not going to perform in Coronation Street? <laughs> I auditioned once and um, they wanted an old CD bloke who was in charge of a, I think it was some sort of clothing factory. Um, and I didn't get it. I, was, I don't think, I, I couldn't have been seedy enough. <laughs> Brookside, though, I did a few episodes of Brookside. Far, far, far too young, to, probably. <laughs> so you did Brookside. Did you? Which? Which? Did you enjoy the show, soaps, or do you yeah, prefer? Are you a more um, serious actor? It's a, a great way of working, and um, soap opera actors, I'm very impressed with because they have so much to do, and the, particularly these days, the rehearsal time is a, is minimum. Years ago, they used to have like a day's rehearsal and a day's shoot. They very rarely have that luxury now. The turnover is so fast and they're so efficient and they nail every take in one, maybe two. Um, I've a lot of respect for soap actors. But obviously your your favourite is comedy. You like anything that yes. has to make yes. So and, and you've basically played all over the UK and probably several other places as well um so which comedy you've played in the top comedy clubs not just that the, the but yes well I'm not so well I've sort of retired now I, I play now and again uh, I used to play the comedy store but in the early 90s uh, it's not really my my gig I think it's a brilliant venue and it's the um possibly one of the top clubs in the country but uh, but most of the places I've played at some point in my career. Uh, and, and, and you are one of the greats along with many of the others. So you, and um, you now coach, and yeah. I, we saw you on the television the other day with the Mickey Flanagan. He was one of your um, protégés, so. Yes, yes. So do you want to talk about that? How, how you managed to bring him on? Um, well, he turned up for the workshop and there were lots of others and there's so many who've um, I've taught over the years that you do forget though. I do remember Mickey because we, because I saw him quite a lot on the circuit afterwards and he's always good fun to be with. He's, um, he's great socially as well as on stage. So um, obviously you never really 
expect anyone to go on to do. I mean, you, you see a few and you think, right, there's a very good chance if you work at it, you will get some professional gigs and possibly make a living. You never really envisage anyone selling out stadiums and outselling, I think he outsold, take that and Beyonce combined <laughs> year or so ago, which is, I suppose you could say that's impressive. Yeah, I, I, I would say so. And that that's really good. So, so um, obviously I'm on one, been on one of your courses as well. And I would recommend, and you would obviously recommend that people now come to your course and anything could happen if they put the I work would in. recommend them, yes. Oh, <laughs> I always recommend them. <laughs> so um, as well as, as well as comedy, you love improv, which is another yes. one of the courses that you run. Um, so what, what got you into improv? You still got everything going on. So Well, it was a, another comedian, I can't remember who, who said um, uh, very early on, oh, we tried impro classes, that that will really help with your stand-up. And I think I did, I'd only done about four, and then I got into drama school. And then I, I already felt I had a massive head start um, at, with the impro at drama school. It was a thing I was best at at drama school. Um, <laughs> I didn't shine at drama school because I was so focused on comedy and also I was gigging a lot in the evening, but I had to because it was at the time it was pretty much my living. So impro, I can't recommend enough because it helps from both a performance perspective and definitely a writing perspective. It helps you overcome writer's block. It's um, when you have a blank computer screen or a blank piece of paper and you think, right, I'm going to write funny things. The tools you learn in impro, overcome that so the problem is not that you don't know what to write about it's that you've got too much choice and impro helps you focus so there's an impro group called spontaneous combustion um, really you know pedigree very very good every single one of them and they no longer perform i think actually they've had the odd reunion gig in the last year or so and every single member of spontaneous combustion has been gone on to be a professional writer in one form or another oh. Incredible. And you were you actually were brought up in Liverpool. Yes. Um, which is a, a big football town. Apparently. But I, I know you also like rugby. So are you football or rugby? Oh, very much both. Well, we never played rugby at school. I only um played rugby after after I left. I'm probably more focused on rugby now. I'm played for Merton Rugby Club for many years, and my son now plays at a club called Old Ruts where I coach on a Sunday morning, which as with most rugby clubs is very, very social. <laughs> no, it is. I mean, we're, we're rugby and a lot of the comedians I've spoken to, they've gone, no, not rugby, definitely football. And um, that was, that was a question from Graham. So that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was playing a while and then I was starting to get quite a bit of, I was doing a few acting jobs as well. And I had to stop for a while because um like Graham, Graham and I actually played in the same position. We both played hooker and you'd have facial injuries all the time. And not always big black eyes, but your face would be scuffed and puffy and just sort of knackered, really. So um, I also played hockey growing up. So for a few years, I went back to hockey. So, And I, and I was looking at your um, thing, obviously, Super Aid. Was it the... Um... Parade, the thing that oh, you mentioned yes. as an advert on part of your showreel, and you're actually in Twickenham. So how did you have to organise getting to Twickenham? Was that because of your rugby or just 
by oh, that. They, they were two separate adverts. The first one for Powerade was filmed at Wasps training ground, but with the England team, the 2007 oh. World Cup with um, Josh, Lu Josh Lucy and Mike Catt. Um, and they, we did a quite a lot of rehearsals of me getting smacked about a bit with the juniors. So it felt like I'd played a game and then on come the, the England boys. So I did sort of say, yeah, go easy. I am a middle-aged <laughs> and a junior, you know, I played for a junior club. And apparently they did hold back, but it didn't feel like it. <laughs> and, and of course we have to do take after take, but it was such a privilege. I was so honoured to be smacked around by people like Josh Lucy. But yeah. the other advert, that was for O2, that was at Twickenham. That was um, that was a lot easier. Though in that one, I got quite badly injured. Um, oh, I can't remember who it was. Oh, um, Andrew Sheridan. I had a tackle bag and he ran at me and I thought, oh, it's Andrew Sheridan who's a front row player. And I sort of met his tackle quite hard, but didn't. I don't know what I did wrong. Obviously, something very basic. And he ended up butting me on the bridge of the nose accidentally. <laughs> And um, I went down, my eyes were watering, and I said something that was possibly inappropriate. <laughs> and we were sitting on the bench about 10 minutes later, and he just came down and sat next to me and went, I heard what you called me. <laughs> Sorry, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> so, so confessions of Rob Hitchcock here on. <laughs> so, I, um, and what makes you laugh? Being tickled. Tickled. <laughs> uh, do you mean what, what type of comedy? What comedy? Tickled is, is fine if that's. <laughs> um, but what? Um, sorry, I'm going to go back to the fitness again because you are very fit, and I haven't mentioned you are, as well as doing gym classes as well. So you do all the acting and comedy classes. You also do gym classes, including occasionally jujitsu, and you're a black belt at that. I am, yes. How did you know? How did you find out? <laughs> yes, I am. Yeah, I haven't practiced for a few years, but um, I tend to get obsessive about things. And for a number of years, and I joined a particularly good club as well, whereby it was run, run by a nightclub doorman initially. And um, it was a quite a baptism. And so I just thought, I want to learn this as quickly as possible. And because of working in the evenings, um, a friend of mine who was also at the club who was just a little bit a belt or so above me for most of the time. He was a greenkeeper on a golf course. So then we could, we'd go and hire a little space in a gym sort of four times a week and put the mats out and practice every day. So, you know, again, you know, it was really obsessive for quite some time. Yeah. I loved, absolutely loved it. So, so you, you just did it just for fitness or because you felt you needed some some sort of self-defense being out in the evenings well it's nice to know but the more you learn I mean I was never inclined to be in a fight anyway even on rugby field I had very few over my career no there were never through, through choice um <laughs> you, you're even less likely to, to to be in a fight the more you know but it does give you that sort of confidence and also you know just the just awareness of what yeah and also knowing that if you were attacked you'd be able to sort of deflect and hit and run really uh, and also how easy it is to seriously hurt or kill someone 
Please yeah. don't attack me, anybody. I don't know that I will fight you back, but I'm not as fast as I used to be. <laughs> um, so um, if you could invite comedians to dinner, um, well, it's probably, you'd probably end up having hamburgers. But with how many, um, out of three, who, which three, dead or alive, would you want to have around your dinner table? Like you, I'd invite Graham, <laughs> one of the others. Um, oh, I don't know. Um, when I first began, the comedian I most admired is um, was Jeremy Hardy, who who died um, a year or so back, and um, that's two years now. Yeah, I um, I mean I knew him a bit, but not incredibly well. I was always a bit in awe of him to start with, but he was always so nice and one of those people who. You know, could always ask about. You know, always ask about me and be very humble of his own success. Um, I wish I wish I'd prepared for this question. I don't know. Uh, sorry, no. Actually, probably people I know because when you um, you meet people who've got a huge high profile, it's all very well going. Oh, great! You know, I you know I admire your work, and most people are very nice. But really, you want to spend time with people you already know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you're going to have a good night, you want to be. And I like Bill Burr at the moment. He's—I don't agree with everything he says, but I think he's fantastic. But he's somebody who I'd um, like to have dinner with or go to the pub with. I certainly wouldn't want to share a flat with him. <laughs> did you watch? Um, were, were your family? Did they watch a lot of comedy when you were younger, or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, fair amount. We went to the. Um, sounds like a bit of a cheesy family. We went to the theatre a lot. So even the next day in school, um, people would be talking about the football that had been on the telly the night before. And I'd been to the Liverpool Empire to see a Gilbert and Sullivan opera or something. <laughs> I used to keep quiet about that. But yeah, and we saw, I saw a lot of drama um, at Liverpool Playhouse and the Everyman and the Playhouse Studio. And none of my friends really did. They were just not, you know, not particularly interested or unaware of it. The, the idea of going to the theatre was just really, was it a pantomime? Mm. But I, I loved it. And Willie Russell plays as well, who I met um, a few years ago. I rather cheekily sent him a play I wrote and he was brilliant. He invited me into his office and went through it with me and gave me some fantastic notes. And I was a little, like a little kid meeting Stephen Gerrard. <laughs> brilliant so but your I think your whole family supported what you did all the way through didn't they so yeah yeah my sister's an actress as well she um she went to RADA she's running she did quite well when she left and then it sort of dried up a little bit she became a speech therapist and then because of NHS cuts and things she couldn't get work as a speech therapist so now she's a teacher brilliant that's Rob Yes, I'd like to ask Rob about Willie Russell. Now, I've seen Willie Russell over the years on TV, and I'd really like to know, what when he presented the play, what did Willie Russell actually say, and what advice did he give you that changed you? Right, well, he... Um, I sent him this play, and he... What, in fact, I first met him at an art exhibition. I'd sent him the play and he got back to me and I saw he was having an art exhibition in London. That's what he does now. He paints and he's quite good as well. And so it was in, what was it, near Tottenham Court Road. 
So I contacted them, said, can I come along? And so they said, yes. And I was looking around it and there he was in the corner chatting to other people and he saw me. And so I don't know how he must have seen my photo or something. And, and immediately he just said, Rob, I haven't finished it, but so far, great. I was wetting myself. And I was so chuffed when he said that I nearly wet myself there and then, and um, we chatted and then we made an, he said, you know, give us a ring and I'll come and see you and come, come to the office, which is in Liverpool. So a few weeks later, I went up to see my mum and then went up to his office and um, I got there ridiculously early, I think an hour early, because it's going to be late, I had to walk the streets a little bit. And he talked about the characters in it. He also asked me whose story it was. So, and this is a note, it's actually in the, the programme notes of another play he's written. It was in um, Breezeblock Park, where it was somebody else who wasn't involved in the play said to him, um, you've got it wrong. Uh, whose story is it? And there was there's a certain character in the play and he wrote extra speeches for her and it made it her story. Now with my play, it's a four-hander and it's still very equal about whose story it is and I can't decide. And I think I know whose story it is, but it's all very even between the four characters. So uh, he also said, I don't like scene two, nothing happens. And he was absolutely right. Two people come on and you don't care about the characters. So then I rewrote that scene with, um, what it is, it's it's a couple who go camping and they're joined by the man's sister and her new boyfriend who they've yet to meet. And it's about um, pregnancy and fertility. That's, that's the, the theme of the play. And I had the other two characters coming in now and they're having a big argument. And it turns out one of them has been arguing with the sat-nav and immediately they hit the ground running. So that was the real sort of valuable piece of information. He also said um, the interval's in the wrong place. Mm -hmm. I sort of knew that anyway, but there was, there's a definite halfway point, but the halfway point is three quarters of the way through the play. <laughs> yeah. So I shifted scenes around, had to, the amount of rewrites I, I did on it after then. Um, and I finally, um, I think I've got it right. It was supposed to be being read by a theatre by the lake up in Keswick because that's where it's set in, mm -hmm. in the district. But because of COVID, that all got put on hold. But there's a local theatre group now who it's not been confirmed yet, but they have verbally said that they will, they'd like to put it on in the summer. Is is this going to be sort of from your comedy background or is it going to be a serious play or a mix of the two? Um, it's a comedy drama. Mm -hmm. There's, it's had lots of rehearsed readings. It's had rehearsed readings through Equity. And also I teach at a drama school. And what I've done with quite a few things I've written, I because often it's very difficult to find plays that have an even amount of dialogue for the actors, because you'll give it, you'll find a duologue in a play, and one actor has 80% of the lines, another actor has 20%. So with this, because there's lots of scenes with just two people, it worked out perfectly. So, so I've split the whole play up into, into two-page duologues. And sometimes there's three people and sometimes four people. Uh, and also you can copy and paste and cheat when it's all my work because I've got the, the original final draft copy. So um, it's had, I reckon, more rehearsed readings than any play in the history of the world.
<laughs> do you do you think is it going to be have you handed it over now so they're the theater group going to run with it themselves or do you still take um, any responsibility in it on the production the direction or any behind well, the scenes or anything contentious they've asked me to direct it yes. i don't know if it's always healthy to direct your own work so initially i said no someone else but they've said because of covid and there might be restrictions with numbers and we might have to do some of the rehearsals outside. The idea is it'll be performed in an outdoor venue. That's the plan, you know, thinking ahead COVID wise. So I might very well direct it. We did a, an extract from it, um, a 10 minute extract through this theatre group last, when was it? It was last February and I was in it. I played, played one of the characters so any other player, you know, I love being in plays, but because it's mine, I'm too scared to be in it. I'm going to ask a question on character and character development, Rob, because during the time I've known you, one of the big things I've, I've noticed is how you can just turn your head and then you change character. Now, I think that's a, so, it, so we've seen that in, in different scenarios, whether you're making a reading or whatever. Do you find your acting background has helped for your character development to be able to do to that level? Or do you think it's, you know, from the improv or how do you, how, what's the, what's the ingredients that allow you to do that? Oh, that's a difficult question. Um, I'm not a great impressionist, but it's, it's often about attitude. So it's like, how do you feel about the person you're talking to and how do you feel about what's just happened and what do you want from this scene and how high are the stakes so if you're playing somebody who's a bit despondent and a bit upset, just, just sort of feel that. And if you're angry and you're playing someone tough, you, um, you keep your head still and you just talk with more intensity. Now, the thing with, if this was a, a proper acting class, we'd do lots of character development and we'd sort of live and breathe like this person. But with Impro, you can, you can do a massive cheat. You almost go pantomime. So if you're playing somebody who's really intimidating and tough, you can cliche it and be, a little, and be really over the top. And it's okay because it's Impro. You've got license to do that. But then you can do that and you can also rein it in a bit. So it's not the most purest way to act, but start with a stereotype and then rein it in. And also, it's as you say, don't go for the, I know it's critical for me to say, but don't go for the gag, go for the story and see what develops. Yes, yeah. And it's also, it goes hand in hand with the performance. Acting is very much about reacting. So when I write something, I have to say it out loud. And then mm -hmm. not just because I want to hear it, it's how I feel when I say it. And how do I feel What's the point I'm making and how do I feel about what I'm talking about? And so without analysing it beforehand, I am, in, am I instinctively getting wound up by this? Am I instinctively bemused or am I instinctively really angry about this? Now, I'm not somebody who gets very angry. So you sort of make yourself as a, you play, you exaggerate everything. You exaggerate the story and you also exaggerate how you feel about something and you exaggerate the reaction of the supposed person you were talking to in the story if there is mm -hmm. one 
Mm-hmm. The most complicated answer I've ever given to anything. No, but it's it's no it's it's, it's well it's interesting because it's how your mind works for the not not as a person you know as as, as your character and and obviously the character development. I mean the 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 key points are which I've just written down is whose story, what's the point, and mm. that really is the point for. Uh, I mean, we we're at home. We watch a program on TV, and Elaine and I would invariably say, "What's the point? <laughs> what's the but what's they trying to do here?" And um, God, I that was a, the audience this. Yes, <laughs> it's like oh, and um, no, we we do, and then we make notes, and then we compare the notes, and stand up. If you haven't got a point, give yourself a point, and then in the yeah. rewrites, it helps you focus. Because sometimes you just write, at the moment I'm writing just blindly about the cost of things and people, um, we can't do that. You can't renew Trident, it's too expensive. We can't have Crossrail, it's too expensive. Well, how much does it cost? I have no idea. So that's it. And that in itself isn't very funny. But with lots of rewrites and supposed conversations I've had with somebody, there's, there's so much work to do on this. But I think... I might be able to get something out of it. And I've got to make the story, you know, yeah, yeah. really big. Do, do you think in comedy, we, we were chatting away to um, someone called, it was, it was, I think it was James Meakin. And, and he is, what he said with his comedy, he likes to just play what's in front of him. Mm-hmm. So, but then I, we said to James, you know, obviously, you have about a hundred sets in your head, <laughs> which you can bring up and then you can pull which bit ready next yeah. and, and go. But what he said was he likes the, uh, the audience to shout out something and then he'll roll with it. Mm-hmm. Now, and I, and, and do you like that style where it's improvised or do you like it to be structured? It tends to be a better quality, obviously, when it's structured. Yeah. There are magic moments when it's improvised. I know yeah. Tom Ward said, who who owns the comedy store, that the times when he's seen the audience laugh the most are on the impro nights with the comedy store players, who are probably the best impro group you'll ever yeah. see. Yeah. And when they're they're on form, it, it is magical. And because you know it's improvised, you you warm to it even more. Right, I'm going to put you on the spot now myself. And as my last question, Gilbert and Sullivan. <laughs> I just happen to be, I used to watch all the time. I used to go to the, uh, I used to do a bit of Gilbert and Sullivan. And uh, <laughs> I did used to do a bit of Gilbert and Sullivan. It was my favourite. Um, but if you had to name one, which would be your favourite from back then? You know, which one you would say from years ago, you would say, do you know, that's actually, I, I don't mind actually watching that again. Rudiger. Okay, cool. Or well, maybe Yeoman of the Guard. Yeah. I, mean, I know the most popular is Mikado, but yeah. I used to like... But then there's like specific songs from each. Maybe a song from Iolanthi. Yes, yeah. That's, that's cool. Rob, thank you very much. And I'm going to hand you back to Elaine. Well, <laughs> what more can I say? Thank you very much, Graham. Um, Rob, is there anything that obviously from what Graham's done, he's learned an incredible amount from your sessions. So I'll give that a plug again. <laughs> and uh, people want to know. <laughs> Graham and Elaine have probably done more than there's you, Gweno, and Jill, 
who've it's been at least once a week and since since when did we start March April what? March wasn't it first lockdown uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well there's the website as well which is um, comedyclassesonline.co.uk brilliant there's a, there's a dash in there somewhere I can't remember where so that uh, was comedy, comedy classes online if you type in comedy classes online Rob Hitchmo you should be able to find them brilliant, brilliant. we will spread the word for you Rob it's been an absolute pleasure yet again thank you very very much really appreciate your time today thank you speak soon okay bye, bye.